Well, good morning and welcome. It's good to be with all of you. Okay. Hello. I went high pitch there. Um, I want to introduce myself. If we haven't met, my name is Sterling, and I am the campus pastor here at the Mill Creek campus, and we're so grateful that you've joined us. If you are new with us this morning, let me encourage you just to take a moment uh, following our service today to swing by our welcome desk. We would love to meet you, introduce ourselves, answer any questions that you may have about Chapel Street or ways to get connected, because there is there is a lot happening right now in the life of the church. Some of this you might be familiar with others of it things might be new we have a, a a men's ministry event coming up here in the next few weeks called on the mark this is going to be in november november 11th um and uh from what i understand this is kind of like one of those things there's an organization that comes in and you can like throw axes and all these kind of different uh activities that us guys sort of like and so it really is designed just to kind of be a hangout time for not only us but for our friends our neighbors just people to, to be together. And so um, I encourage you guys to, to be a part of that. I think it'll be a lot of fun and uh, you won't want to miss that. Uh, we also have baptisms coming up here across all four of our campuses, um, but certainly here at the Mill Creek campus. And so if you've been thinking about being baptized, if you've got questions about that, been praying about that, um, we have another baptismal class coming up as well that we invite you to be a part of. Um, again, you can take the class without committing to the actual baptism. So if you do have questions about that and you'd like to explore that further, I encourage you to, to be a part of the class. Um, and then we'll gather together as a church um, to celebrate baptisms. As you guys all know, that's like my favorite thing ever. So I'm already excited about that. And then we have a number of things coming up here at the Mill Creek campus specifically. And uh, we are looking at November, and um, we are calling this uh, Neighboring November. Um, as we are thinking and praying about how do we utilize, like, as you all know, we, we do things where we try to put things on here and say, hey, invite your friends, invite people to come, like, like the men's ministry event, right? Like, we'll do something at Kesslinger, we'll say, bring your friends, we'll do something at Mill Creek. Our sense uh, this fall has been this is a season to mobilize God's people, like to, to us to go outside of our walls, to be in our communities and our neighborhoods. And so we're going to put a special focus on that. Like it's not, we don't only do it in November, but we're going to emphasize this in November and create opportunities and hopefully ideas to really sort of be mobilized out uh, as the church outside of these walls. So uh, we are going to have uh, the first weekend of November, we're going to have a connection lunch that's coming up. So you'll hear about that. We have a serving opportunity uh, right before November, October 30th at Batavia Apartments. Many of you have been uh, a part of our, our relationship with Batavia Apartments in the past. God has just done so many amazing things, built really genuine relationships uh, with the community there. And we get to be a part of their trunk or treat. Um, and serve dinner there, as well as uh, Miss Libby's going to have uh, a car where we're handing out treats to the kids. A lot of fun. You can reach out to Kelly LaValle about that. She, she would love to get you plugged in. But if you haven't been a part of that ministry, there's some exciting things happening there. We're going to do a big Christmas uh, event here as well for that. So more to come on that. So there is just a lot unfolding. And I know it's kind of hard to kind of put all of this uh, in you right now, but you can always go to our website for more information and, uh, and, and of course, email us or ask, and we would love to help 
you get plugged into any of these events and, and so much more. Um, I want to share this morning, um, before we start the sermon, I want to share a video um, with some of our students who are sharing their experience following their trip to Ecuador this summer. And I think you'll be encouraged and, and blessed by this as well. So check this out. Hi, my name is Molly Gaston. I'm a junior at Chapel Street and I'm 16 years old. This past June, I was given the opportunity to go on a mission trip to Ecuador with about 75 other students and leaders from the church. I'm Jacob Van Rossum. I am 17 and I am a senior at Geneva High School. I felt called to go to Ecuador because it's a trip with just a bunch of different people and just a bunch of new experiences that I don't feel like it's something that I would be able to see and feel here in America. Mainly we were there to serve El Refugio, which is this amazing retreat center for missionaries. The El Refugio team is a mix of people. Some are from Chapel Street, some are from just different parts of the world, different parts of Ecuador, and they speak different languages. Like Some of them speak fluent Spanish, some of them both English and Spanish, so it's really cool just to see like all these different people working together. So going to El Refugio, the impact for me, six months prior, I'd say, leading up to it, I'd pray every day uh, about prayer. And in specific, I wanted opportunities to be able to pray in front of people or pray with people, pray in front of larger groups, really. I didn't tell Tom Ward about this prayer of mine, but multiple times he called on me to pray in front of our whole group in Ecuador. One time it was even at the church service and we were ending service and Tom just called on me. He goes, Jacob, you want to pray us out? And I was like, whoa, that is, God, what? This is my prayer right here. I think around like the middle of our trip to Ecuador, we went to this woman's home called Casa Tau and it was made up of women from ages 12 to early 20s who had children of their own or a child of their own. And this woman named Anna had taken them under her wing and really just showed them God's love through her, her guidance and her comfort. And just being in that house, it was, you could just feel the overwhelming amount of joy. And I will never forget like the presence of God in that house. And I just remember one of the women who was 18 years old, she was able to share her testimony with us. And it was very emotional. And I remember just the contrast of feeling both so heartbroken for what she had gone through, but also so joyful for how it led her to God. I think that moment really showed to me that God's joy is greater than anything we'll ever go through. Like you can always find joy even in those hard times. A lot of times when we think of serving, we think that we have to have this special talent or this special calling to serve. But Ecuador really showed me that there's so many different opportunities to serve no matter who you are. I remember specifically uh, the VBS that we did, which is like the vacation Bible school for the kids of the town. And there were so many, I think there were like 300 kids there. To see those kids who only spoke Spanish, maybe like a little bit of English, and us who mainly spoke only English, interacting without even having to speak the same language was the coolest moment ever because we really saw that God's love doesn't have a language. Okay, so my group and I in Ecuador, we did a challenge to where we'd find three things throughout the day. 
and in the moment we'd pray. So if you were, if you saw something amazing, you'd thank God for that. So you just say, thank you, Lord, for these amazing mountains that you've placed in front of us right here. You'd pray for something that was affecting you. Or the third part was just find a time that you can just pray and just talk to God. And then after that, something I've worked on is listening, finding times to read your Bible and listen to what the Lord has to say for you. To students like presented with the opportunity to go to a trip like Ecuador or Twin Cities even, I just want to urge you to take that opportunity because it is such an amazing chance to grow closer to God as you also grow closer to this community of people who follow God. And even if it's something that causes you to come step out of your comfort zone, I just recommend going on these trips and pushing yourself a little bit because you'll know so much more about God, but you'll also know so much more about yourself and about the people in your community. The mission trip in Ecuador was so significant for me because just looking back, that I always think of is how God's love was so eminent throughout the whole entire trip. Being able to see how he looks so similar in different people was definitely the biggest takeaway from the trip. Having uh, been on that Ecuador trip uh, in the past and having been a part of student ministries in the past, I can um, just validate the, the way in which God seems to use those experiences in really transformative ways in the lives of our students. And, and I want to say thank you to all of you, because as you know, those trips don't happen without a church that is supporting and investing and a part of creating these experiences for our kids. And so for those of you that, that gave your time, energy, or your money to help make that experience a, a possible, whether it was in Ecuador or some of our kids going to the Twin Cities or Milwaukee um, to, to Mexico for our, our graduating seniors, thank you, because it's, it's making a, a long-term impact in, in not only their lives, but then also in the ministries that they partner with. Um, and, and as we've been talking about in James, right, we see faith being lived out, put into to action. Um, I want to pray for us um, as we get going. I want to invite you all tomorrow, by the way, we're going to have a time of prayer for Israel, um, for the conflict that continues to go on. I know it, many of you have work and things on Monday morning. I understand that. But for anybody that's available tomorrow at seven, uh, at our South Street campus. It'll be open just for a time of seeking God, asking for peace, um, for God protecting the, the innocent. And so um, I wanna invite you all to be a part of, of that if you're able to tomorrow, 7 a.m. South Street campus. It's just, just prayer, just a time of, to come and pray together and seek God together. So um, we would love to, to ha have you join us there as well. Father, we do just... Come this morning into your presence, Lord, we thank you for the worship that has led us into this point, recognizing and acknowledging who you are and in your goodness, Lord. And yet we recognize even now, we acknowledge that there are many who are experiencing incredibly difficult times. Lord, as, as war rages on, as conflict rages on, Lord, we're just asking for your presence and your peace. We're asking you to defend the innocent and protect, Lord. And God, we just pray that you would bring about peace in Israel. We pray that you would 
Uh, you, we know that you are a God of peace and a God of justice, Lord, and so we are trusting you in all of this and asking you to intervene. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Today we are continuing in our series, as I mentioned, in James's letter to the very first church, the earliest church, this group of Jesus followers living in Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus. And, and before we really dive into the text that we're going to study this morning, which is dealing with this topic of um, favoritism, specifically favoritism in, in the church, like if you have ever... Um, if you have ever had or been responsible for more than one child, like you've been accused of favoriting, right? Like my, one of my children turned it into a verb, like you're favoriting my sisters, right? Like, um, but, but James is confronting a really difficult issue in, in the heart of the church. And he does so by this, this metaphor that James used of, of asking us to stand in front of the mirror of God's word, right? and allow it to reveal truth to us. So if you jump back real quick to James chapter one, I wanna go back and look at these verses that Jeff preached on last week and, and then allow this to kind of speak into what we're doing here this morning. James writes this in, in verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. And he goes on, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, so here's kind of the, the imagery, this metaphor that James wants to use. And really the rest of the letter is going to be James kind of inviting the church together to stand in front of this mirror, allow his words. So when James is referring to the word, right? At this point, he's not talking about the New Testament that didn't exist yet. He's primarily talking about the, the life and the teaching of Jesus that they are passing around verbally to each other and the, and the Old Testament that was pointing to Jesus. And he wants us to step in front of this mirror. And oftentimes, if you're anything like me, I can almost approach this idea of coming in front of the mirror from a negative sense, meaning like I'm going to see everything that's wrong with me. And I do think that that's a part of it. I, but I, I want to actually encourage you to think of this positively. I, I think this idea of seeing things as God sees them, being confronted with the reality, I think James is driving, I want you to understand who Jesus is, and I want you to understand who Jesus says you are. Like, I want you to operate, uh, Timothy Keller and, um, and his commentary on James talks about being, proceeding, doing. Like, I want you to have a clear understanding of who you are in Christ, and let's live out of, of that. So in view of that, let's, that's, that's really the rest of this letter, is us going through the mirror together. So let's pick things up now in James chapter 2. 
where he deals with this topic of favoritism. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? Yet you've dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was evoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he said, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you commit adultery, you don't commit adultery, but you murder, you're a lawbreaker. Speak and act, and here's that sense of operating out of being, right? Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So in other words, right, James is dealing with, he's, he's confronting some situation in the church where they are valuing one person other another, over another. They're discriminating based on this, this perceived idea of their ultimate financial value worth. Um, just last week, I, I had a meeting here, and it was a number of us that were gathered together, and Aaron Wise was a part of this meeting, and, and she was talking about, if you're not familiar with Aaron, she oversees our Shepherd's Heart Ministry here at the church, and um, at our Shepherd's Heart Ministry, there's this construction project going on, because part of what they do in the summer is they will host barbecues and cookouts when people are coming to use the food pantry. And somebody graciously and generously donated money to take that area and make it like a really nice patio space. Like we're, it's beautiful. We're looking forward to using it. It's under construction right now. If you drive by South Street, you'll see it there. Um, but as a result, it blocked the entrance into our, our Shepherd's Heart uh, food pantry area. And so um, they needed a way to be organized and to keep things uh, um, in line. Like people, it's like a as they show up, they get put in order so you can go through in an orderly process. And so it moved it around to the front of the building, but people were waiting outside. And so there would be lines that formed. Sometimes people would get there before the doors opened and you would have this line of people waiting to get to the pantry. But Erin, as she's seeing this, she noticed that was people are standing outside of, of our, our church waiting, right? Other people like myself who had keys right, and the ability to come in, that, or people who were coming for Bible study, they were just walking right in. So you had this situation, not, not by anybody's design or intent, like it was all uh, in an effort to do things well, right, but you had a situation where the message that was being sent is if you're coming here with need, stand over here and, and wait in line outside. If you're coming here for Bible study, if you're coming here for 
any number of other reasons, like the door's unlocked, come on in, right? And Aaron and, and her wisdom like is able to observe this and say, hang on, wait a second. Like this is, this isn't, this doesn't align with the way of Jesus. Like the message that this is sending in a number of fronts, right? That's just not who we want to be. And it doesn't align with what we think Jesus taught. So we got to be able to figure out a way to do this better. Let's, let's figure out how we can do this in a way that doesn't communicate this, this different value system. And this is really what James is addressing, I think, in some ways that maybe perhaps in that church were, were a little bit more intentional. We need to do this differently. In fact, favoritism, or, or uh, different translations say partiality in, in the Greek here, in James's mind, this is a part of that stain of the world. Like if you look at verse 27, He's like, that this is, this is a part of the stain of the world that we're, we are saying we don't want to be a part of that, right? We don't want, we got to keep ourselves from this. So with that being said, again, like the, the goal this morning is for us to kind of approach, to stand in front of the mirror and allow Jesus to instruct us in his way, what that looks like. And to do that, we got to begin with the problem of favoritism. We have to begin with the problem of, of favoritism. I don't know if you've been noticing this, paying attention at all, uh, but uh, Taylor Swift is dating an NFL player. Um, and this is, uh, uh, so if, if you're not familiar, Taylor Swift is this, this pop artist, and uh, everybody knows who Taylor Swift is. I don't know if it's, uh, so, so it's been really interesting because she has started to attend the football games of her boyfriend. And Travis Kelsey, he plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's, he's very good in his own right and got lots of attention. But what's fascinating is that she started to attend these games, ticket prices for the games began to skyrocket. In fact, when she was going to the New York Jets game, like, um, she, the, like the prices began to almost like double and triple. Sales of Travis Kelsey's football jersey began to jump through the roof. And if you watched any of these games, so, so far, she has been to uh, a Bears game, Chiefs versus Bears, Jets game, and uh, what was the last one? Anybody remember? Broncos. Broncos. So she's seen the Jets, the Bears, and the Broncos play. So she either loves Travis Kelsey or really loves football because those are horrible teams that she's watching <laughs> play football. And, and what's fascinating on the broadcast is how many times it will go and show Taylor Swift. In, in the, you have players on the field making millions of dollars. In the case of Patrick Mahomes, hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, who carry this, their own sort of like gravity about who they are with them. And yet, despite all of that that's happening there, like I've seen sitting U.S. presidents at games who have not had the camera go to them as, as much as it's gone to Taylor Swift. Right? It, on a, in a smaller scale, we've experienced, like if you are at work, your company, and you're having a meeting, and the CEO walks in the room, right? You ever notice how the whole room sort of tilts in that general direction? If you have like among your peers uh, uh, a circle of friends, and there's um, a, a, a one person who kind of wields the authority or the, the gravitas of your friend group, and they show up and everything tilts in that direction like this is 
this is what, look at verse 1 again. He says, my, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It's so easy, and I have so many times just read right past that description of Jesus here in verse 1. But that is actually the foundation of everything that James is going to teach us about what's wrong with favoritism. He describes Jesus as the one who is glorious, or literally in, in the Greek, our Lord Jesus Christ of the glory. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that when glory, the glory of God is described, it's depicted as being overwhelming, all-consuming, even described as like, like dangerous, like it will consume you. When God in the Old Testament is revealing his glory to his people, he does so through like a, the Shekinah glory, a cloud. It's muted or it's, it's uh, limited because otherwise you would be undone by, by the glory of God. You could not stand. So that word, that Old Testament word kavod literally translates to be like weight or heaviness. Like the whole thing tilts in his direction. So look what James is, is doing here. He's saying the body of Christ who is the church, has gathered together for the express purpose of worshiping Jesus, the one who is glorious. And then in that context, we try to ascribe glory to various individuals in the room based on something as insignificant as someone's financial status. In his mind, he's saying, like, do we, do we see how ridiculous this is? The gold rings and some fine clothes. Saying, that, that's, what is that? In this space, the whole room should tilt towards Jesus, the one who is glorious. He's the one who overcame sin and death. He, he is the one who secured our salvation in his resurrection. And when we do that, when we show favoritism, right? Look what he says in verse 4. He says that we, we're making distinctions among ourselves and we become judges with evil thoughts. To borrow from the Apostle Paul in, in his letter to the Philippians, there's a moment when he is kind of describing all the credentials, all that he has in order to sort of elevate his, his, himself. And then he says this in Philippians chapter 3, he says, but everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because, I have because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Right? And that word, the CSB translates that word as, as dung. It is, they're doing that so we can read it in church. Right? It, 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 Paul is saying what you think he's saying there. He's saying it, well, you know what he's saying. Um, <laughs> what status does Paul view here that, that he applies to himself? It's that he is in Christ. It's knowing Christ, that he's in Jesus. It's the same, very same status that would apply to somebody else who is in the same context, who is much wealthier than himself, who's there in Jesus, and it's the very same status that would apply to anybody who didn't have nearly as much wealth as him, who came into that space to worship Jesus, the one who is glorious. 
And, and James understands, he knows he's, he's taking on a, a cultural value, the way the world works, so to speak. Jesus, when, when he, in, in the Gospel of Luke, he points out this very same thing. This is Luke chapter 20. He deals with the same issue. Jesus confronts it in the Gospel, saying, Beware of the scribes. They want to go about in long robes and who love greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogue. So this is a practice that the church has apparently adopted out of, of worship in the synagogue. Who, the best seats in the synagogues, places of banquets. So this is how the world works. And James, like his older brother Jesus, says this is how the world works, but it's not supposed to be this way here. That's not how you and I are supposed to work. And James cites three very specific reasons, which I'm going to give you super fast because I'm, I'm talking too long. He says, one, verse five, it violates the character of God. Like this is not in a line, that's not how God works. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 10, which we're not gonna do, um, but in Deuteronomy chapter 10, it describes God as the one who does not take bribes and does not show favoritism. He's echoing his older brother who in the, in the, in the um, Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Secondly, as I pointed out, he's saying this is, this is how the world works. And if you notice in verse 6 and 7, again, I'm, I'm not going to go back there for the sake of time, but he's not only saying this is how the world works, but this is how the world is oppressing you in this very experience. Like you, you are experiencing the same thing negatively from the world that we're now replicating in, in the body of Christ. And he's like, that's not that's not okay. And then he says, ultimately, this isn't the way of Jesus. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. It's not the way of Jesus. But I want to just pause here for a moment. Because I do think it's worth asking ourselves the question, where is my heart inclined to show favor? Right? Who, who, who do I have a tendency to prefer? And who do I have a tendency to ignore? Because here's the deal. I am much better at seeing it in somebody else than I am in seeing it in me. I'm much more capable, particularly if I feel like there's something where I'm, I'm on the outside looking in, I can, I can, that's not right, right? But James is, he's putting us in front of the mirror. He's asking us to stand there. When I was a student ministry pastor for years you know one of the, the the great critique of student ministries right is like okay these students are clicky which if you've ever been around students yes that's that's true that's is one of it is it's called group dynamics any large group is going to subdivide into smaller groups that's the way the works but we would talk about this a lot and sometimes i would have a group of students come to me and they would see the circle over there and they would say like oh man like I'm, I'm being excluded from that circle. I want to be, can you talk to them? And I would be like, you're right. That's not right that you've been left out of. That's not right that that circle is closed to you. But I'm like, hey, this group right here, like, look at this kid standing right here. He's all by himself. He just wants one person to come. See, like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, we can see it out there. And yet sometimes we don't recognize it in and of ourselves, and people always ask me, like, what's the difference between student ministry and adult ministry? Very little. <laughs> like, we, 
we are inclined in the same direction. And so we've got to pause and let, let this penetrate our hearts. It's okay, Lord, what, Holy Spirit, where is this true in me? Where is this true in me? What am I not seeing that you want me to see? Okay, let's move on. The principle of the royal law. This is, when I said this isn't the way of Jesus, that's the third thing that James points out. This is what, what I'm referring to. Look at verse 8 now. He says, If indeed, if you fulfill, fulfill the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin, and you're convicted uh, by the law as transgressors. For everyone who keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you are a, a lawbreaker. Notice that phrasing that James uses. The royal law prescribed in Scripture. That phrase, royal law, is unique. In fact, I, I tried to do a quick search to see if that appears anywhere else in Scripture. And on a cursory search, I could not find it anywhere else other than here in James. So what is it about this law that makes it royal? It's given to us by our king. Like this is Jesus, when Jesus is asked to, to summarize all the law and the prophets, Right? Remember in the Gospel of Matthew, this is his answer to that. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And he said the second is like it. And then he quotes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He says, love your neighbors as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. This is the royal law. This is the way Jesus has designed his kingdom to work and favoritism, valuing uh, discrimination, prejudice, we, it takes shape in a number of different ways. But he's saying this is a clear violation of God's, of our king's law, which James goes out to point, makes us then a lawbreaker. Right? He makes that connection between the royal law and what would have widely been understood as kind of like the, the critical parts, the most important parts of the Ten Commandments, do not murder and do not commit adultery, right? And he's saying you can, you can get everything else right. You can hold on to these, but if you're showing favoritism, you are, it's a violation of the royal law, and that puts us in the place of being a lawbreaker, a transgressor, it says. I could have all my act together, and yet, there's no amount of law keeping that could change my status as a lawbreaker. So now, right, he's put us in the place, he's exposed us as those who are guilty. I am revealed as a one, as a person who is in need of the favor of God towards me. So James reminds us of our spiritual poverty, and in doing so, reminds us of the favor and the generosity of God poured out to us. And this is, this is where I want to land today because the third thing that James says is, is the power of mercy. It's the power of mercy. He says, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. Again, rem remember what we talked about the mirror. It's showing us who we are, right? It's about being before doing. 
For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is James's point. Is that he, he wants us to understand that it is the power of mercy poured out to us that we have received. Understanding in view of the fact that we are our condition as a lawbreaker, that God has provided his mercy to us and that is the antidote for favoritism. It's the law of freedom. It's the gospel. It's the way of Jesus. I was trying to think how to illustrate this, this point, like how to, how to tell a story that would kind of like bring this home. And we were sitting around with the, the preaching team and talking about this. And um, I was reminded of, of the life of Christ and an interaction that Jesus has with a Pharisee by the name of Simon. And if you remember the story, um, Simon invites Jesus over to his house for dinner. And um, he's supposed to kind of be like brought in as a guest of honor, but at every turn, Simon sort of dishonors him. He doesn't wash his feet. He doesn't treat him like a guest in his home. And in the midst of that scene, if you remember, there's a, a woman who comes in and just bows at Jesus' feet, and she's just weeping over who Jesus is, and she uses her tears to clean his feet. And she actually will dry his feet with her hair, and then and then he will, uh, she uses this alabaster jar of perfume and she anoints Jesus in that moment. And you get that, like, we're tempted in that, like, to think, like, this has just got to be cultural. Like, they have to be like that. It was just as weird then as it would be right now. Like, everybody's watching what's unfolding. And, and Jesus, because he's Jesus, can perceive the hearts of Simon and, and the Pharisees. And, and he starts to ask him a question. He tells him a parable. And he tells a parable of these two debtors, and he said there's one debtor who owes 50 denarii, and there's another who owes 500. And when the creditor realize, realizes that neither of them have the ability to pay the debt, he, he wipes the debt out for both. He says, which one do you think is going to love the creditor more? Simon responds and answers that question. And he says, I suppose the one who had the greater dead. And Jesus said, you're exactly right. And there's this poignant moment in, in Luke. And I was, I was going to read this this morning, but we're out of time. He, he looks at the woman and he says to Simon, do you see her? Do you see her? And then he says, after he describing all that, that she had done for him, that Simon had avoided doing, he said, to whom much is forgiven right? Much, to, to the one who is forgiven much, they'll love much. And to the one who is forgiven little, will love little. See, many mercy triumphs over judgment. The more that I am aware of, the more I understand God's mercy poured out to me, the more I understand my need for him, the more capable I am of fulfilling the royal law. The one who is forgiven much, loves much. And the one who is forgiven little, loves little. So just three quick takeaways. As we think about how do we apply this to us. First, we have to ask ourselves, how do we view Jesus? If, we, if, if the whole room is meant to tilt towards him, he is at the center and at the core of all of this. Second is how do we view each other through the lens of the royal law? Like, how do we apply that in, in this context, in our world, in relationships to each other? 
And then finally, how do we view ourselves through the lens of those who have received mercy? And then pour that out to others. Let's pray, and our worship team will come and close us out. Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your word that continues to be a mirror to us. Lord, I thank you for the ways that you um, reveal who we are in you, and then you send us to live that out. And Lord, when we have failed, Lord, to, to communicate to anybody that's walked through these doors or others' doors, their value, their worth as an image bearer of the all-creator God, please forgive us. Lord, remind us of the mercy that has been poured out to us. That because of that, in view of that, Lord, that we might live out your royal law. Lord, make that true here. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. If we can pray with you this morning, uh, just know that is one of the ways that we share life together as a church. We've got a prayer team that's available. I usually hang out up here in the front. You're welcome to, to connect with them or myself um, if, if we can celebrate something God's doing in your life or we can bring a concern to him. It's a privilege to do that. Our generosity boxes are by our side doors. Um, and if you came prepared to give, again, like your, your generosity, those student stories, it's we're just so grateful for the ways that you partner in the work that that God's called us to as a church now receive this morning's benediction go in the name of Jesus Christ who by his mercy has triumphed over judgment and may we do the same it's in your name amen